Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Every marriage begins with excitement and enthusiasm, joy, great delight. But it doesn't take very long for the pressure of real life to take its toll. Shortly after the honeymoon, most couples realize they did not marry the perfect mate. And day after day, and month after month, and perhaps even year after year, husbands and wives start to accumulate disappointment in each other. And if they don't deal with that disappointment, that disappointment quickly turns into resentment, which also gets buried and stuffed down because we don't want to talk about it. In that dark place of resentment, husbands start to withhold the one thing that their wives really need the most, and that's unconditional love. And in that same dark place, Wives begin to withhold the one thing that husbands long for, and that's unconditional respect. So she withholds unconditional respect, and that causes him to withhold unconditional love, which only enhances and gives her the right, she thinks, to withhold unconditional respect, which only encourages him to withhold unconditional love even more. And do you see how quickly you can get on the crazy cycle? You see how quickly it happens and how it continues to feed day after day. And accumulated resentment begins to build. Accumulated resentment can destroy unity. It can, it can thwart forgiveness. It can frustrate progress. It can, can slow down reconciliation. Because we, we've, we're building up resentment, we're accumulating it, and, and you get buried so deep in that stuff of resentment that pretty soon you need to hire a backhoe just to get up to the surface. You, you, need, a, you need a front-end loader so you can see your way forward. Well, let me give you some pointers this morning on excavating that resentment, how to get rid of that so that you can... Uh, move forward in in your relationships. Excavation tip number one. Endeavor to understand how you have offended your spouse or your fiancé or your best friend. Try to understand, endeavor to understand how you have offended your spouse. Book Book of Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 2, verses 3 through 6, if you call out for insight... And raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. I think that says to us that when we get really serious and really hungry about this excavation project, when we seek the face of God in humility, when we cry out for insight and try to understand what it is that we've done that's so bad, that's created so much resentment in the heart of our spouse, then He will help us to grasp that and learn from it. 
and move forward. And it occurred to me this morning that, you know, if you cry out for wisdom and you call out for insight and you ask God for, for understanding of what it is that, that, that you've done that's caused this offense to take place, if you, if you don't get an answer, just ask your spouse. They'll tell you really fast what it is you've done. And that will help also. Excavation tip number two. Admit your part in weakening the relationship. Always takes two to tangle, right? Uh, after 30-some years of pastoral ministry, I've come to the conclusion that there really, very, very seldom is there an innocent party, 100% innocent. We, we all contribute in some way, shape, or form to the demise, to the difficulty, to, to the challenges in our relationship. And admitting failure is never easy. <laughs> Confessing your sin to your, to your partner is hard. But it's really critical in developing or, or regaining some health in that relationship. It's critical for us to admit our part in weakening the relationship. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, I know that comes in the context of, 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 of physical sickness or perhaps even emotional distress or illness, uh, maybe even mental illness uh, might be in the picture there within the purview of, of James chapter 5. This verse comes in that context, but surely it would apply to a relationship as well, it would apply to a marriage as well. That if we were to confess our sins to one another and pray for each other, there might be healing in that relationship. Doesn't that make sense? Then we have a look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Again, from a relationship point of view. Let's just try and view this through a different lens this morning. We're talking about relationships we're talking about marriage and significant relationships with other people. We have a look at this, these verses from a relationship point of view. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. And I know that we, we, we often, most often apply those verses to our personal relationship with God, and that's absolutely relevant. But I'm asking us this morning to just look at it through a different lens, a relationship lens. If we say we have no sin, if we've done nothing wrong, if we have not contributed in any way to the breakdown of this relationship, we're deceiving ourselves. If a husband or wife claims to be completely without sin, without any responsibility for problems in the marriage, without any liability, without any blame, then he or she is probably deceiving themselves. On the other hand, if you look for that place where you have contributed and admit your part in the breakdown of the relationship or the destabilization of the relationship, if you confess your sins to God and confess your sins to your fiancé or your spouse or the people that you're closest to and the desire to, to, to excavate all that resentment from that relationship, then your excavation project is well on its way to success. This is, a, this is a critical component. 
Excavation tip number three. Express genuine sorrow whenever you offend your spouse. My wife, Patty, has told me from time to time just how much she appreciates when I take the first step to apologize. And I need to because I'm usually the one that offends. And uh, so I, I, I take that to heart. I, I try to be the first one to say, I'm sorry. Sincere words of regret, sincere words of sorrow express a repentant spirit. And they begin to soothe the relationship. 2 Corinthians 7.10 Godly sorrow brings repentance and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So your expression of sorrow, our expression of sorrow in those moments needs to be honest and it needs to be sincere and it needs to be authentic. It needs to come from the heart. You've experienced those apologies, haven't you? Okay, I'm sorry. That really helps. Oh boy, I feel so much better now. Worldly sorrow brings death. But godly sorrow brings restoration and healing to a damaged relationship. A counselor once said to a woman who was under his care, your husband's words have hurt you deeply, haven't they? Uh Uh-huh. So would you appreciate it if he admitted that he was wrong? What would you do if your husband apologized to you and said he was sorry? She said, I'd call the cops. The puzzled counselor said, you'd call the police? Yes, she said, because I'd want to know what that man did with my husband. This is not her husband. A man who says he's sorry, that's not him. What, What have you done with my real husband? When we express genuine sorrow, the people who are closest to us should not be shocked. This ought to be something that, that they, they're familiar with. For whenever we, we blow it, whenever we make a bad and make it right and, and confess and, 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 and express genuine sorrow for what we've done, it should not be shocking. Our, our spouse should not be tempted to call the police wondering what happened to the real us. Seek understanding. Admit your mistakes, express godly sorrow, and then seek forgiveness for your nasty behavior. Harsh words can stay with a person for many years. You know that, right? I still remember the day that my brother-in-law, whom I idolized, I mean, I loved this guy. He was older and stronger and smarter, and he had a brand new 1967 Chevy Camaro. (laughs) Love that guy, love that car. So when Rick one day said something to me about my appearance and made fun of me, I never forgot it. I mean, those words just cut me to the core of my being. He's just trying to be funny. And I was just trying to pick myself up off the floor. Devastating. So harsh words can stay with us for years, if not a lifetime. But a gentle word, the Bible says, a gentle word 
actually turns that stuff away. It turns wrath away. It turns anger away. Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer, a gentle answer, turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And what are the most gentle words? What are the softest words we can say to someone after we've said, I'm sorry? Best thing to say is, Will you please forgive me? I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? I mean, our kids, from the time that they were able to speak and understand English, we taught them how to say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Those two phrases go together. I can say, I'm sorry, without asking to be forgiven. I'm saying to you this morning, that's not enough. It's not enough. It's not going far enough. I can say I'm sorry without ever asking for your forgiveness. Okay, I'm sorry. Well, you did. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. Are you ever? That's what I want to say to people when they say to me, okay, I'm sorry. I want to say, you certainly are. You're the sorriest thing I've ever seen. So after you say you're sorry, the next sentence needs to be, honey, will you please forgive me? Those two go together. When I've offended Patty and I come to my senses and admit my part and confess my sin and seek her forgiveness, then it clears the way for her spirit to open up to me. Because until that moment, the door is shut. You back down, back off, and get out of here, buddy. Because my spirit's closed to you. And she doesn't even have to say that. You know what I'm saying, guys? She doesn't have to say a thing. You know it. Her spirit is closed. But man, oh man, when I get on my knee and say, Honey, I am so sorry. I'm such a jerk. And I apologize. This is the fourth time in a month I've done this and said that. And I'm, I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me? It opens her spirit. It's, it's godly sorrow followed by this seeking of forgiveness. Will you please forgive me? And after I ask her forgiveness, many times she will come back to me usually after a little while. And she will say to me, Honey, I need to ask you to forgive me too. Because I shut down, I closed you out, I was angry, I was upset, I didn't want to have anything to do with you. And that's a beautiful moment for us. It's a beautiful moment. I love making up with my wife. I love it. Sometimes I do bad things just so I can make up. Not really, but it sounds good. <laughs> mutual confession and mutual forgiveness. There's nothing like it. It's, it's a wonderful thing to walk in that, to experience that, to receive it, and also to give it. Mutual confession, mutual forgiveness, mutual healing in the relationship. So don't dismiss your nasty behavior. Don't bury it. Confess it and seek forgiveness. 
And some of us, sometimes, you know, we, we've grown up in environments, we've grown up in cultures uh, where, where it's awkward. It, we don't know what to do when people say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? So a common thing, a common way for people to respond is, oh, don't worry about it. It's, it's fine. Never mind. It's, it's cool. It's not cool. It's not okay. We don't want to just bury this again. See, that's what that does. Don't, never mind. Shh. You don't have to say you're sorry. Yes, she does. Yes, he does. So receive it. When people say to you, hey, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Say, absolutely. Absolutely I do. Do not, do not push them back. Do not push them down because that just causes them to bury that all over again. We need to receive it and accept it and walk in it. We could actually be free of the resentment by following the prescription of, of healthy relationships in the Bible. If we all learn to express genuine sorrow, godly sorrow, and seek the forgiveness of people we've hurt, man, it would be a different world. We'd be able to excavate all that resentment that's been buried for years and years and years. Someone in my family who had already been divorced for several years confided in me one time when we were chatting and she said, you know, this is my fault. And I, I should have said a long time ago that I'm sorry. I said, then why don't you do it now? It's never too late. No. The opportunity is past, and I'm done. I want to say to you folks, it's never too late to say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? It's never too late. When my, our kids were really young, I heard a Christian counselor speak once about raising kids. And in a lighthearted moment in the discussion with the audience, someone had asked a question and the Christian counselor responded and said, well, my advice to you, do the very best you can in raising them according to God's standards. And when they turn 18, apologize. And I did that. I know it was a lighthearted moment, but I also knew in that very moment, I am not a perfect father. And I was already aware of some of the mistakes that I was making. I was repeating history. I was taking some of the junk from my old life, from my non-Christian life and my non-Christian family, and repeating some of the same mistakes and raising my own kids. And I knew I had things to, to, to apologize for. And so when my son turned 18, around that time, not on his birthday, but close to his 18th birthday, I took my son out for a nice dinner. And at the end of the dinner, I said, part of, my, part of the reason I'm taking you out for dinner, Nathan, is to say to you, I'm sorry. I've done the very best I could do as your father. And you know that I didn't have a very good example in my own life. And all the, 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 what I've learned, I've learned at the foot of the cross. And God's been faithful, but I know I've made mistakes. And I'm here as your dad just asking you to forgive me. Would you please forgive me, son? I'm so sorry. 
And there was a flood of tears right in the middle of the keg restaurant. We cried. We both cried. He said, Dad, I don't have anything to forgive you for, but I forgive you. If you need to hear me say, I forgive you. And so six years later, when my youngest daughter, Kristen, turned 18, I took her out for dinner, and we did the same thing. After dinner, I said to her, Honey, I love you with all my heart. You are the wind beneath my wings. And there isn't anything I wouldn't do for you, but I know I have not been a perfect dad, and I've made a lot of mistakes. And so here on your 18th birthday, as you turn an adult all over again, I just want you to know that I love you more than I love my own life, and I'm sorry for the mistakes I've made along the way. Will you please forgive me? She was bawling long before we got there. But you know, I'm a man of steel, and I never shed a tear. (laughs) My friends, we could actually be free of resentment in our lives if we followed this kind of prescription. I really believe it. I really honestly believe it. Excavation tip number five, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. (laughs) In other words, let your partner, let your family... Let your employer see that you really mean business. When you say you're sorry and ask forgiveness, then buck up. Walk the talk after that. Change your attitude. Change your behavior. Change your actions. Change your words. Bring some change to the table. The Bible says in Matthew 3.8 that we're supposed to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That's actually right in the Bible. And then over in Acts chapter 26, verse 20, the Apostle Paul writes, First to those in Damascus, and then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles, I preach that they should repent and turn to God. And that's often where we like to put the period. But he goes on to say, And demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. So after you seek forgiveness, you've got to walk the talk. You've got to prove that you really mean business. You've got to change your behavior. I can't tell you how many times I've apologized to Patty for the same thing. And I can't tell you how many times she said, okay, I forgive you again, but stop it. Change your behavior. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, right? That's what she's saying. And sooner or later, I will get it. So be patient with me, honey. I'm still learning. Researchers from the University of Georgia recently published a study in the Journal of Personal Relationships. They said that a key to a happy and lasting marriage might be as simple as expressing gratitude regularly. Hmm. After interviewing 468 married individuals on relationship satisfaction, covering everything from finances to communication, they concluded that the most consistent, significant predictor of happy marriages was whether one's spouse expressed gratitude. Do you do that often? Do you express gratitude to your spouse? Do you tell them how much you appreciate them and what you appreciate about them? The authors of the study said feeling appreciated and believing that your spouse values you directly influences how you feel about your marriage how committed you are to it, and your belief that it will last. So, my 
goodness, this is not rocket science. If a happy, healthy relationship can be enhanced by something as simple as expressing gratitude to the other person, we all ought to be experts. But that might be part of the fruit that's in keeping with repentance, is just to say, I appreciate you so much. Thank you for working so hard at your brand new job at the Devonshire to help our family succeed. Wow. Can you imagine? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. It might be as simple as expressing gratitude. That's mind-blowing. So how do we excavate these, the stockpile of old resentment? Well, endeavor to understand, admit your part, express genuine sorrow, seek forgiveness, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And number six, rely on the grace of God every single day. Now, the first five are helpful or might be helpful. Number six is absolutely critical. It's absolutely critical. The writer of Hebrews points us toward grace when he says in in Hebrews 4.16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's an everyday thing for me. Seriously, that's an everyday thing for me. I... Every day I, I need to draw near to the throne of grace because every day... I need, a, I need a truckload of mercy and grace in my life. I, I just do. I, and the older I get, the more I realize how much grace I need. Because, you know, that old stuff just keeps coming back. It comes back to haunt me and, and tempts me to do it this way instead of God's way. Or do it that way instead of according to Scripture. I need, a, I need his mercy and I need his grace. Every single day I need it. Every day I need to come before the throne and say, Lord Jesus, I need you more today than I did yesterday, but probably not as much as I'll need you tomorrow. Every day I need to rely on the grace of God to help me in my relationship to my wife and my daughters and my, my son and my grandkids. And my church family, every day I need that grace. And at one point, the Apostle Paul cried out to God for healing. Remember 2 Corinthians 12? He asked the Lord three times to heal him, to, to take away from him this, this messenger of Satan. And you remember what God responded? You know what his response was, right? You remember, it's probably on the screen already. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. You're not getting healing. All you're getting is grace. It's all you need. My grace is sufficient. Suck it up and deal with it. That's a Leno translation, kind of. But. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Wow. My grace is sufficient. Lord, I need your grace every day. In every relationship I've got. Because in my relationship with other church planners, for example, man, I'm prone to compare and contrast. 
Okay, well, you've been going less time than we have, and you've got more people. Oh. You got, you got, right? Get into another relationship, and there's something else at play. I need the grace of God every single day in every relationship that I've got. And you can pray for me because I have to work with Pastor Phil just about every day. That takes a lot of grace. I'm telling you, grace upon grace upon grace. I need so much grace. In the fall of 2010, millions and millions of people watched their televisions as they were captivated by the story of the miners in Chile who were buried, trapped in this mine in which they were working. Buried beneath 2,000 feet of solid rock, these 33 men became desperate really fast. The collapse of the main tunnel had sealed their exit, that thrust them into survival mode. These men ate two spoonfuls of tuna, a sip of milk, and a portion of a morsel of peach every second day. They were trapped in there for two months. Two months. On the surface, of course, the Chilean rescue team was working day and night trying to figure out how they were going to get these miners out of that out of that mine. There was no guarantee of success. No one had ever survived such a tragedy and been buried so long beneath the surface of the earth and lived to tell about it. But now someone has. Because in October of 2010, those men began to emerge from that mine, slapping high fives and, 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 and starting victory chants as they came up. It was a spectacular scene. All of them had different stories, but they all made the same decision. They all made the same decision. They decided to trust someone else to save them. They couldn't save themselves. How were they going to get out of a mine 2,000 feet below the surface? The main tunnel had been absolutely crushingly closed. They had to trust someone else to save them. And every one of them made that decision. Why is that so hard for us? Why is it so hard for us to trust Someone else to rescue us, to save us from our dilemma. Marriage runs into trouble. Who do you turn to? Yourself. Difficulties at work and the relationships at work, who do you turn to? Yourself. You're going to fix this. You're a big boy now. You can fix it. You're going to put him into his place. You're going to tell her where to get off. How's that working for you? God's word says something quite different. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Read it with me. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. In other words, rely on the grace of God. God's grace works to rescue you by progressively breaking your bondage to the created world and turning the deepest affection of your heart toward God. That's what grace does. Grace breaks this bondage in a progressive fashion. It breaks the bondage that we have to the created world and by the grace of God turns our affection toward God himself. That's grace. That's what grace does. And only grace can do that. God alone is worthy of our worship. God alone is, 
is able to satisfy. God alone is able to bring peace to our hearts and peace to our relationships. God alone is able to make our relationships work and our family work and our marriage work and our careers work. For this we have grace. Because of grace, we can build strong, healthy, happy relationships. It's not because you're smart. It's not because you're good-looking. It's not because you're resourceful. It's because the grace of God is available to you that you're able to, to move forward and keep your head up. It's because of grace that you can enjoy a God-honoring marriage no matter what the circumstances are at home. It's the grace of God that helps you to keep putting the left foot in front of the right over and over again. It's the grace of God that brings glory and honor and blessing to Him. More than 30 years ago, a well-known jazz pianist by the name of Keith Jarrett played to a live audience in an opera house in Germany. He had requested the Imperial Grand Piano at that facility to be placed on the stage for the concert. Somehow the, the opera house staff got their signals crossed and instead of putting the Imperial Grand out there for him, they, they moved a smaller baby grand piano onto the stage and apparently the substitute piano was completely out of tune and the black keys in the middle didn't work and the pedals stuck. I mean, this piano was unplayable. So Mr. Jarrett walked out onto the stage, played a couple notes, his producer came out, played a couple notes. They didn't say anything to each other. They just walked around the piano, you know, holding their chins. They walked around the piano several times and played a few more notes. In spite of the obstacles, Keith Jarrett decided to go ahead with the concert. We sat down. He played a couple of notes and the hair on everybody's arms and the back of their necks stood up. They were amazed at what they heard. The audience was hushed and awestruck as he began to play. That night's performance began with a simple chiming of a few notes and then quickly gained complexity and volume. Standing up, sitting down, moaning and writhing, Keith Jarrett pummeled that piano, that unplayable piano, and made beautiful music for the audience that night on the unplayable piano. Well, the album for that concert recording was released later that year, went on to become the world's best-selling solo jazz album ever produced. Wow. My dear friends, when we trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and lean hard on His grace and not on our own limited understanding, there's no telling what He can do. There's no telling what God can do. Your relationships and your marriage may be out of tune. The notes in the middle might not be working proper. Things might be sticking. But when you place all you've got into the hands of the Master... He can make something beautiful out of that. You can trust him. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, we come to you now this morning in prayer. 
gladly placing our trust in you. We're reminded again this morning, Father, that we we cannot lean on our own understanding. Every time we do, we blow it. We acknowledge you. We openly confess our need for you. We declare our love for you as we gladly concede that we can't live life or, or do marriage without you at the very center. And so we invite you, Lord, to take over. Take over. We invite you to to make our paths straight before us. Your grace works to rescue us by progressively and gradually breaking our bondage to the created world and by turning the deepest affection of our hearts toward you. And we thank you for this. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that. Keep turning. Keep, Keep changing us. Keep breaking the bondage and turning our affections toward you. We need, we need that. We count on you for that. And you alone are worthy, Lord Jesus. You alone are worthy of our praise and adoration because only you, only you are able to, to satisfy our hearts and bring peace in our relationships and in our marriages. And we pray this in the most exalted name of Jesus to bring honor and praise and glory to you. Amen.